What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a Friday edition of Texans All Access, less than 48 hours away from kickoff against the Baltimore Ravens. Can't wait. Cannot wait. I'm your host for this evening, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And when I tell you we got a jam-packed show, Mark Vanderman and I were talking about it this afternoon. We weren't sure we could get everything in two hours. But all we have is two hours, so we're going to get it all in tonight. we got a reporter's roundtable, which you're going to love. We've got Texans OGs, which is going to be great, with Andy Kalu and Jonathan Joseph to kick off our second hour. Uh, we've got D.P. Sidhu diving deep, going behind enemy sidelines of the Baltimore Ravens. You got my keys to the game, my predictions. I Honestly, maybe Mark's right. Maybe we can't get it all in one show, but we're going to do everything we can to do it. And this first segment is going to be jam-packed. We're going to hear from Mark and I. We're going to talk about this game. We're also going to hear from Denzel Perryman, uh, who got a chance to catch up with Drew. We're actually going to hear from him twice. A little pre-game interview, football-centric, and then a little Drew's dozen a little bit later. So, lot to do. So, let's kick off the show on a Friday, as we always do, with the head coach of your Houston Texans, D'Amico Ryans, who sat down with Mark Vandermeer to discuss this matchup with the Ravens. All right, Coach, here we go. Opening day, everybody's sky high. I know you want the guys to play with reckless abandon, but how do you balance that and being fundamentally sound, playing with technique? Yeah, our guys are excited. Excited to go cut it loose. We've been, you know, I was talking to Andrew Beck. He's like, man, I'm tired of going against the blue jerseys. So <laughs> it's time, right? Guys are ready to go. And we want our guys to play with the fundamentals, right, the techniques. We want to play play smart football, but also have that aggression, right? We want them to be the most physical team, right, when we step out on the field Sunday, and that's what it's going to take. The Ravens are, are tough out. They've always been a very physical team, so we have to make sure we're the most physical team. We have to play smart football when it comes to any situations we – we uh, we are faced. We have we we have to play smart football, and we just have to protect the football and attack it on defense. So you have numerous guys seeing their first NFL action in this game. Give me a couple of things that are really important for them to remember or know about as they head into it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think when you step into that stadium as your first game, it's one you always remember uh, for for our rookies, and they have to take that in, take that moment in to reflect, like. Their first NFL game, yeah. one you'll never forget. But then you have to go out and remember that it's still football, <laughs> yeah. and don't let the don't let the lights become too big for you, right? Just go out and continue to play, you know, really great football. That's why you were selected in the draft, and that's why you were added to our team because we felt like you were a good football player. So just do what you've been doing and go have fun playing football. So much talk about Lamar Jackson, coach, but all the other weapons they have and their O-line, really good stuff that they have that you have to deal with defensively. Yeah, it starts up front with their offensive line, right? You don't see a lot of guys hitting Lamar. He's protected very well, so it's going to be tough when it comes to rushing the pass around with his athleticism, being able to get out of the pocket, have our hands full there. But it, when you see the, the weapons that they've added on the outside with Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham, it's Nelson Aguilar. They have explosive playmakers, and I feel like their intent will be to try to throw the ball more, gain more explosive, explosive plays. And the guy who's been there, you know, the long Mark Andrews is, mm-hmm. you know, Lamar's favorite target. So they have a lot of weapons on the outside, and we have to make sure we have great eye discipline when it comes to coverage. 
What is it about their defense? Coordinators change over the years. Some big names in that department, but the brand of Ravens defense seems to stay the same. Yeah, it does. And uh, credit to Coach uh, McDonald. He's done an outstanding job. He was there with the Ravens before, I think, as a linebacker coach. And he's kind of kept that same flavor. They they mix it up. They do. A, he does a really great job of, of pressuring. Right? They play really tight man coverage. And, you know, they put you in, in difficult situations, right? They try to dictate the game by applying pressure, and they've done it multiple ways, whether it's linebackers, blitzing, pass rushing on the edge, right? They've added a lot of talent to that roster on the defensive side, so it's going to be a really uh, tough challenge for us offensively. Just one more quick one. How have you dealt with preparing for the noise you're going to face? CJ, his first NFL action in an environment like this. Yeah, I tried to pop up a clip to show them, right? I think I popped up a clip of the Raven, the Dolphins at the Ravens, and it was the first game to show them, right? I just cranked up the noise, cranked up the volume as loud as I could in the team room just to let them know, like, this is what it's going to sound like. So don't mm. be surprised, right? The huddle has to be tight. Guys have to be dialed in and intent when they're in the huddle to make sure everybody is listening. But it's going to be loud, right? We're, we're not going to be able to use cadence. Like, you have to use silent count. You're, you're going to have to operate that way. And they got the point. I've seen the huddles in practice have been tight. You know, they've been operating really well, you know, with the silent count. So it's just – a matter of them just going out and actually doing it under the real circumstances. Great stuff. Coach, thanks a lot. Good luck. Thank you, Mark. Yes, thank you, Mark. And thank you, D'Amico. Also, we're talking linebackers here. D'Amico, one of the great linebackers in Texas history, hoping that number six, Denzel Perryman, can follow in those footsteps. He caught up with Drew to discuss this game against the Ravens. Linebacker Denzel Perryman joins us. Good to be with you. What is your level of excitement right now? going into this season opener. Preseason over with. Uh, it counts now. I mean, not saying that preseason don't count, but it, you know what I'm saying? It really counts now. Just the progress that we had from preseason up, you know, to this point now. I'm really excited to see what we able to do on Sunday. No doubt. I'm glad you bring up the preseason because what we saw from this defense in the preseason, how many more wrinkles, how much more is there to this defense that we're going to see Sunday and in the months to come, you think? Uh, just us putting it all together finally. We had, you know, some up and down, you know, games. Going to call the spade a spade, but I mean, that's what preseason's about. You know what I mean? Just getting together. There's a lot of new guys on the team. I mean, everybody's in a new system, new program, new coaching staff, new everything. So just coming together, that's what the whole preseason's all about. What's the biggest challenge Lamar Jackson presents for this linebacker core, for the defense as a whole? I mean, everybody knows what Lamar Jackson can do. He can throw the deep ball. He can run. He's very elusive. He can extend plays. So we got to make him one-dimensional. we got to make the whole offense one-dimensional, and uh, that's the goal. Yeah, how good a running team is this team, the Ravens, in general? Not just Lamar, but the rest of those guys. I was about to say, yeah, they got some great backs. Dobbins, you got Gus Edwards, which I played with in college. I think Melvin Gordon's there. I don't know if he's activated or not, but like they have some backs on top of a dual third quarterback, and then the quarterback's after him. Like They all can run. And then you might have to deal with him a little bit over the middle some. Mark Andrews, yeah. that's a tight end that can play, isn't it? Yeah, he got some weapons. He got a lot of <laughs> weapons, man. Uh, not just Mark Andrews, but, you know, you go outside, you got OBJ, uh, Zay Flowers, who they just drafted. So they, they got a bunch of weapons, man. So the key is to make it one-dimensional and uh, just, you know, play one accord and make sure we do our job. What do you make of this atmosphere at M&T Bank Stadium there, there in Baltimore? What, what, do you, what do you have to be prepared for as a team, as a whole? Just the crowd noise, I would say. More so probably for the offense. Yeah. Uh, you know, just the crowd noise. The environment itself depends on who shows up at the game. Yeah. I've been there before. Ray Lewis has been in the stadium, and like the, the atmosphere is crazy. How much do you like as a defensive guy going on the road? And I know you love playing at home and you love that crowd noise, but how much fun is it going on the road? Sort of that us-against-the-world, quote-unquote, mentality. 
I like it, man. It's just a challenge. And I feel like everybody on this team, you know, we like to rise, you know, to those challenges. We, you know, we don't pay attention to what's going on outside. It's all about, you know, the guys in the room, in the locker room. I'll say, you know, just the way our mindset is, you know, we're on the road at home or just in general. Like I said, just stepping up to a challenge in general. All right, last thing. How are you fueling up on game day? What's the pregame meal for you at a, a 1 o'clock kickoff? Honestly, on the game days, man, I'll probably just drink a smoothie. Or I drink a coffee and like have my little uh, butter croissant from Starbucks, and that's how like I get ready for a game. Keep it light, right? Keep it light, and I watch Kimbo slice. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, Denzel Perryman, thanks so much for the time. Best of luck against the Ravens. Best of luck the rest of the way. Right, thank you, man. Appreciate you. All right, as always, good stuff from D'Amico and Denzel, two linebackers. Uh, it was good to catch up with them. Thanks to Drew and obviously to Mark, who stays with me. Mark, your overall feel, you, we listen and hear what D'Amico has to say, mm. but you're sitting across from him. What was your kind of takeaway from talking to D'Amico on Friday? I would play for him, Johnny. I don't <laughs> yeah. care what he's coaching. Yeah. You know, he could coach my sailing team back in high school. <laughs> yes, that happened. Yeah. Kind of esoteric, I know. But he's that kind of coach that is going to bring out the best possible performance in his players. And look, we all know what this is. This is a tall task. It's week yep. one. It's a lot of young players. It's You've got some injuries that you've got to deal with. It's the noise. It's rookie quarterback. It's all of that. Yep. But whatever their best is this week, I think he can get it from them, and we'll see if that's good enough to win, and then you take it from there. It's a long season, but I'm up for it. I know they're up for it. He's up for it. I just think he's the right guy. Let him figure everything out as we go along here, and great things are going to happen to this organization. I think that's going to be his coaching superpower. I already think it has been. I mean, I think his football IQ, football character, understanding of the game are off the charts. I think they always have been. But I think his superpower as a coach is that connection to the players. Mm -hmm. Getting players that are B-minus players, getting them to play that day at B-plus, A-minus. Yeah. A unit that is maybe a C-minus or a C playing at a B-minus or a B that day when you really need to have them. I think that's going to be, and it already has been, um, his superpower as a coach. You hear Fred Warner talk about him after the NFC Championship game last year, and Fred just spoke glowingly about him. Nick Bosa, when asked about it, Bosa was spoke glowingly. By the way, the richest defensive player in the history of football. How about that? And oh, by yeah. the way, I can't remember who tweeted this picture, but somebody tweeted a picture, and it's Nick Bosa next to a bespeckled Joe Burrow. Bespeckled? Wearing glasses and his suits. They must be at some sort of like banquet or function or whatever. It's Back in the day. Yeah. And they look young. Yeah. And somebody tweeted this and said, this is the highest paid defensive player in NFL history and the highest, pay, highest paid player in NFL history. And you look at it and go, oh, my gosh, that was both from Ohio State. Yeah, and who it was knew? Together, but everybody's going to remember him from LSU. So. But it's this week, too, because, yeah. as we all know, yeah, right. these things change and wait for that's the right. Trevor Lawrence contract. Yeah, if that's... he's as good as you say he is. And if C.J. Stroud is as good as we think and he that is. that would come later. That would come later. I heard so. Seth and Sean talking about that, yep. what the number might be. It's going to be a lot. Let's just put it that way. It's going to yep. be a lot. And you want it to be a lot. That means he's played very well. Exactly. And then they obviously brought up the fact that there's Nick Bosa and there's Joe Burrow. They're on different teams. C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson are the same team. Then again, in three years, I'll deal with that problem. 
Yeah, exactly. I'll do that problem in three years because if they are that caliber in three years, it's a good problem to have. Guess guess what we've been doing. Cap's gonna go up too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Cap's gonna go up. That's why all this is going up. But you know there are old heads out there that are like, oh, I can't believe they pay five million dollars to that guy. Well, guess what? They're gonna pay fifty five million now. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're off a little bit. Uh, but that's you know, Cap's gone up. This league makes a lot of money. This just in. All right, we didn't. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about the game in a second, but I want to get your thoughts on last night. Lions, Chiefs, Lions get the win 21-20 in Kansas City. No Kelsey for the Chiefs, and it showed uh, the Kansas City Chiefs receivers were wearing uh, oven mitts <laughs> and couldn't catch a cold. Uh, but then the Lions took advantage of that. And how about the fact the Lions have won two straight on NBC Sunday Night Football Ooh, on the road. I didn't think of that. They finished last year at Green Bay, not Green Bay out of yeah. the playoffs. They start this year. They win at Kansas City. Make Kansas City 0-1. I didn't think of the back-to-back -back nature of that. Yeah. But it's worth mentioning because mm -hmm. if you wanted to see if they're for real, and I don't mean for real as a Super Bowl contender, but I mean for real as a bona fide winning organization, they showed it to you last night. Yeah. They weren't perfect at all. They made mistake after mistake, yet they won the game because they played with toughness. They were fierce on defense. Love what Aaron Glenn did last night yep. as coordinator. Jared Goff, good enough to win. Montgomery, great acquisition. They ran the snot out of the ball. And look, I don't even have to look at the yards. It was effective. And at the end, they were able to seal the game. And the announcer is, I was a little uh, surprised that Tariko didn't pick up on the fact that you know what? With a minute 40 left, if you have a first down, the other team doesn't have timeouts. Mm -hmm. That's game over. Yeah. That's not uh, right where they need to be or whatever. Right. No, that's game over. Game over. It's done. It's checkmate. Yep. It's not going to happen. There's no miracle of the Meadowlands. Joe Pisarczyk happening here. It's over. So you have to remember that. It's just like at the two-minute warning. Folks, if your favorite team, either side of this, if a team has a lead mm -hmm. and the ball with two minutes to go, heading into the two-minute warning and a first down, and the other team has no timeouts, the game's over. That's three knees, and it's done. You don't have to do any other math. Yep. It's done. I've done it for you. I think I'm going to do my second. My second book is going to be game game management myths. Oh, yeah. That's I think good. that because I got volume one out there now. So um, with 209 left, and it's fourth and 20, I was thinking, I know he's thinking about going for this, and I'm like, I don't know, man. If you punt, could you get the punt downed within nine seconds? Because that, to me, was the key. You had to get the Lions to run a play before the two-minute warning. How many timeouts? Two? They had all three. But if you, you would be able to keep one of your timeouts if you could get them to run a play before the two-minute warning. Yeah, but you could still... Get the ball back with time on the clock. Yeah, even if they down stop them there. one, right down one, but, and all you need is a field goal. And you got Mahomes. Look, I could go either way with that decision. The fourth you, and twenty, I thought was you really just had to end it before the two minute warning. But unfortunately, Pat had to move around and he threw it and it hit complete right at the two minute warning. Yeah. Now they can run their three downs on the other side and uh, get their three timeouts well, here, called. Here's the done. thing, but let's say Johnny that the Chiefs stopped them, mm -hmm. right? Now, did they go for it on fourth down? They didn't have to. They got a first down. They got the first down anyway. Yeah. All right, but let's say they, yeah, they're not going to go for it on fourth down. Let's say even they do, but you've got the ball. You're the Chiefs. You've got the ball. But now you're down four. If they kick it, if they go for it on fourth down, don't make it. You're only down one. Right. 
I think they were going to go for it on fourth down. Oh, anyway. I think so too. You know, this Absolutely. is like what happened to the Texans Absolutely. in week three of 2017 at New England, right? right? Do you force them to get the touchdown to beat you, or do you go ahead and try for the first down and kill the game right there? Yeah, you have to. You have to play the clock at certain points, and that, that actually is one of the things I wrote in my book: is you have to stop playing the team across from you and start playing the clock. Yeah, I know you have to go against the team on the field. I get that. But you have to start playing the clock. Like, okay, the clock. At some point, that becomes a factor of, do we want that guy? There, was, there are guys, and you just mentioned it. That yeah. day it was Brady. We didn't want to see Brady come back on the right. field. Right. I guarantee the Lions did not want to see Mahomes but, come but back he, on the field. Even though he struggled, you did not want to see him with a timeout or no timeouts or whatever the case might be, up four, down one, whatever. You did not want to see him come back out on the field. I'm not saying you're wrong about that, but – there was a difference between last night Mahomes and last no, year Mahomes. No doubt. Right? No doubt. Because you don't have Kelsey, and he was a little bit off maybe, and you had the receivers But you want to really take that off. risk? You want to take no, that I risk? No, I don't want to take that risk. that way I, for a full 60? I, I think it's the right decision. But, you know, we were just having an off-the-record session with D'Amico Ryans. He was talking about analytics, but a lot plays into it because Absolutely. who are you facing? Is your defense yes. tired? Is your offense tired? Are you really moving the line of scrimmage? There are so many other factors that go into this many times, this is the percentage. Certainly that's a factor in your your decision but also the nature of the moment right. is a huge factor in your decision you have to intersect them at some point and yeah. where they intersect that's what you have to make your decision and there would be analytics but no no you got to stick strictly to analytics they're going to get beat by the times they're facing a brady or a mahomes because they've they've gone by just the analytics and they're going to be other people that don't go by the analytics and just go by gut feel. They're going to lose a certain number of times as well you got to merge them together okay the analytics say this but I'm facing uh, Sam Howell yeah. versus Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Now, you're right. Last night was one of those situations that I think you probably go for it on fourth down if you're the Lions. Didn't have to uh, because the Lions ran it just well enough uh, to get it done in, in a win last night. All right, AFC South games this weekend. You've got Titans at Saints, mm -hmm. Jags at Colts. Which of the two is most compelling in your opinion? Jags Colts, come on. It's two division teams. <laughs> I want to see if the Colts can hold up a little bit against the Jags. Now, these games will be going on while we're playing. Right, right. So we'll be scoreboard right. watching. We'll monitor it's, it. Johnny, it's week one of a 17-game season. But, yes, I'm that guy. <laughs> yes. I am scoreboard Absolutely. watching all the way. And was it McLean last night who said, I know you'll be rooting for the Jags to beat the Colts or something like that. I don't know if I will or not. I don't know. I don't know. It, I, I don't root for either team in these situations. I see how it plays out. I guess it would be nice to hang a loss on the Jags, but that means the Colts won. Yuck. And then they're but, coming in here? But you get them next week. Look, win or lose, you get them next week. Right. It's a tough game. It's the Colts. I don't care who's playing. I've been over this many times. Right. So, yeah, you know what? If you could send them to one and one and the Jags already have one loss, that's nice with 15 games to go. Stop me. <laughs> but don't you agree, Jags? Colts is I think the more so. compelling one. I'm I'm wildly intrigued by this Titan Saints matchup because I think the Saints, the more I've thought about this, I think the Saints stay relatively healthy. I think the Saints could be pretty tough. I really do. Oh, yeah. I'm glad we're playing those suckers here. Um the more I thought about it, I was watching the game back again today, um, the uh Saints preseason game, and I'm watching Brian Brazil by the way. I know there was a lot made about Brian Brzee against uh, Shaq, or I mean, uh, Kenyon Green. Yeah. I, and we get all that. Brian Brzee did that to every single one of our interior guys. Spin move. Spin, you name it. Spin move, rip move, it, whatever. Yeah. He did it. He was unbelievable. Wow. Now you throw him into all the veterans they already have. Holy smokes. Yeah. 
they could be they could be pretty salty. Where they're similar to the Ravens, let me draw this back in the Ravens. They don't now Brzee is a rookie, and I like what they did in their draft. I really do like what the Saints did. But they don't have to play it. They don't have in their in their top eleven on both sides of the ball, they don't have a surefire rookie starter. They're all vets. And they've all been there, except for Derek Carr, of course. Now, Brzee comes in. Now he's going to be a factor, but he may not play every single down. They're loaded. They're, yeah. I, and I hope they put an absolute number on the Titans. Sure. I no, hope they put a number on the Big Titans. Time. So it's not as compelling. I think Jags, Colts, it's up in Indy. So I give the Colts a chance. If it had been down to Jacksonville, we know what would have happened. I mean, sure, the script's already been written for the I mean, last Andrew seven Luck years. Andrew Luck lost there 6-0. Right. Exactly. And when they were on a roll, yeah. that was a team that was on a roll. They were rolling up big on everybody. That they was go the Jacksonville team, lost 6 to nothing. That was the team that won here in the playoffs. I know. And they lost 6 nothing late in the year <laughs> at Jacksonville. I mean, the year that, uh, what was it, 21, when the Colts were on uh, in-season hard knocks? Yeah. And all they got to do is win one of the last two games. They lose to the Raiders. Like, ah, look, they got the Jags. The Jags stink. And the Jags blew them out in the finale. Yeah. I mean, the tale of Carson Wentz. Oh, it's a tough. Yeah, it's going to be. I love that on Sunday, though. Yeah, I love that. I love sure. scoreboard watching. I love what's going on in the other in the other stadiums. It's a feast. I love, be, I love being on the road for games when it's not raining, and it probably will rain, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, and just monitoring everything that's going on. And then kind of catching up, you get on a plane. It's like, oh man, what happened? To all these other games, you see all these highlights. I, I, I love all that. I love everything that goes with it. I'm gonna do my keys to the game later on. Give me your offensive key and your defensive key to beating the Ravens. Well, I'm not gonna say don't turn the ball over because that's put obvious. that up on a shelf. That's like put saying, that one on the shelf. That's like an every week. That's one. like saying you must outscore the opponent. Yes. right? Don't yes. turn the ball over. Must outscore the opponent to win the game. I'm going to say this is a big game as far – look, you got to be able to run the ball. We all know that. But Stroud has to be accurate. He has to be able to – and this is easier said than done. And like you heard D'Amico say, they got to be tight in the huddle. Mm-hmm. they got to be really tight with their communication, yep. get the play call correct, and get the ball out fast – Third down passing is going to be a huge factor in this game. It is in all games, but I think especially here, are you able to extend drives, particularly in the first half, and stay in it and prove? I want to sit there after about a quarter, Johnny. You, Andre, me, I want to be talking about this. Hey, we're playing with them. We can play with these guys. That's what I want to see out of this team early on and then hang out down the stretch and make a huge second half play fourth quarter play to tip the game in your favor. You know, I actually, I thought a little bit about LSU FSU. Now it's, a, I think people perceive this game with the Texans and Ravens to not be that way. But I think a lot of people thought LSU was going to roll in that game. And uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not that FS. Duke Clemson. That's okay. the game I'm thinking of. Oh Yeah. Duke's hanging in there. They're down by one. You know, they they had that, you know, Jalen Calhoun fumbled that punt, muffed that punt, gave Clemson a short field. Clemson scores, takes a 7-6 lead. And I just remember thinking, man, if Duke could just do something at the start of the third quarter, man, that could really give them momentum. And then Duke's best player did something superhuman to break out of a tackle of an All-American linebacker and then sprint and beat everybody in the end zone. And it was that play in the third quarter where you saw everybody at Duke's sideline like, Hey, we got chance. We got chance to win. Yeah. You believe that you can win, but you don't know you can win. Yeah. Then that play happens in the third quarter, and I thought about that in the Texans Ravens game. 
I know these guys feel like, hey, they're going to compete. They're going to compete their guts out. But something's got to happen in that third quarter. And if and something good happened at third quarter, it doesn't have to be a touchdown right away. You'd like for it to be. But something that changes the game where you see the tide and the momentum kind of turn on the sidelines. Like, not only do we feel like we can win it, we're going to win this thing. And I think that's something that in the third quarter would be really good. And the, and the Duke-Clemson game was a perfect example of that. When Riley Leonard made that play, the best player on the team made that play. The sideline went nuts, and they took off from there. You couldn't, you couldn't have stopped them the rest of the game, and that's got to happen, I think, Seen on Sunday. Seen it play out last night, Johnny, because the Chiefs believe they're going to win every game. Yes. And they were stunned that they lost it. Yes. The stunned. Lions, I had a feeling they think they can win. Right. I think I can. I think I can. Like the little engine that could. Yeah. But at some point, they're like, hey, we actually can do this, and yep. that's going to build confidence throughout the rest of the season for them. We'll see how it shakes out in the NFC North. But, man, it's so compelling. I want the Texans to f- have that feeling, to execute, to have that kind of success, and then get ready for the home opener against the dreaded Colts. Oh, baby, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be wet, and that's fine. I'll get wet, but if we come home with a W, that will be just Fine. Now, I asked Mark his keys to the game. I'll give you mine next right here on Texans All Access. Yes, sir. Welcome back to this edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. So glad to be with you as we hone in on Sunday kickoff, noon central time. If you go into the game, it's one o'clock there in Baltimore. Remember, it's East Coast time. And bring your rain gear, baby, because it's going to be wet seemingly all right each and every year each and every friday i do my keys to the game now you can read my know your foe article it's got all kinds of stuff in there i do put my keys in there but i was reminded by a good friend of mine many many years ago hey you need to you need to do those keys on friday night i was told good old jr he had the right thing to say at all times so let's get into it give me my music to get me rolling Man, I haven't heard that music in a while. It sounds good. I like it. All right, let's get into this one against the Ravens and start with this Ravens offense against the Texans defense. It's a Ravens unit that last year was second in the NFL. 160 rushing yards per game. They were 28th, though, in passing yards, 178.8 yards per game. They got to the playoffs last year, but it was Tyler Huntley who was driving the machine as Lamar Jackson was hurt on December 4th last year and then missed the rest of the year. So Lamar hasn't played in almost 300 days. Um, It's a total offense of 339 yards per game. That was right in the middle, 16th in the league. They lost 21 turnovers. They're plus four in turnover ratio. We'll get down a little bit. Changes for the Ravens. Offensive coordinator is a big one. Todd Munkin comes over from the University of Georgia. Other than that, not much. Odell Beckham Jr. added. Zay Flowers drafted after that it's a lot of the same from last year now Odell Beckham Jr. is back at practice 100% so he's ready to go Mark Andrews is questionable but if Mark Andrews can't go Isaiah likely is the likely candidate to replace him no pun intended but Isaiah likely is a pretty good athlete now I gotta imagine that the Ravens are gonna want to use some different looks one of the things Munkin did at Georgia was use a lot of 12 personnel. Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington. I could see him using some 12 personnel. The difference is Andrews and likely neither one of them are good blockers. Whereas at Georgia, Darnell Washington was a hammer. So, a little different makeup. And obviously with Lamar Jackson pulling triggers, it's going to be different than what they had with Stetson Bennett. 
Either way, let's dive into our keys. Key number one, I call it space. The most important final frontier. Now, 53 and a half yards of width, 100 yards in length, and the Ravens are going to challenge the Texans to cover all that space. And the best way to do that, quick screens, tunnel screens, now screens, any way they can get the ball to their space players. Obviously, the one everybody knows about is Lamar Jackson. And what's the easiest and quickest way to get him the ball? Snap it, option. But I think the most dangerous thing and where he can really create a ton of issues in space is it inconsistent and undisciplined pass rush. If you get out of your lanes, he's going to make you pay because there will be a seam. And now once that seam opens, he's out in space. And once these guys get out in space, they're very difficult to tackle. But the tackling has to be at a premium. Your angles have to be good. Your pursuit has to be solid. And you've got to wrap up and bring them down. In particular, Lamar. I've seen Lamar throw off 300-pounders like it's nothing. Tackling is huge. So to conquer the final frontier out in space, tackling is the biggest thing. But there's so much that goes into tackling, getting in position, knowing your pursuit angles. Don't follow another white jersey. Make sure that you're hemming uh, Lamar Jackson in the pocket. We'll get to that a little bit more. But space, the most important final frontier for the Texans to win that. Boy, there are a lot of things that go into that, no question about it. Let's go to number two. At the end of the season, you don't want to look up and see your safeties lead your team in tackles, especially by how many Jalen Petrie led the Texans in tackles last year. It was an obscene number. However, let's not get it twisted here. Jalen Petrie has to be part of the run defense. Has to. Has to. You saw him against New Orleans on a second and five play. He made a great play from the backside, running it down and keeping it to no gain. That's the kind of thing Jalen Petrie has to be involved in at all times. So, yeah, you don't want him to have 20 tackles a game, right? But you do have to have him involved. He does have to find a fit in the run fit. You need Jalen Petrie on that wall. You've got to have him on that wall. Channeling a few good men. But you get the point. To stop Lamar Jackson, Jalen Petrie's got to be a massive part of that. And it's the first time for a lot of these guys to face Lamar Jackson. So, Jalen Petrie's got to be on point with his tackling. And sometimes last year that wasn't great. So, he's got to play under control at all times but he must be a factor in the run defense now let's get to our key number three where there's a will well there's a will anderson and that's good because the texans need a game changer like will anderson on the defensive side of the ball but one thing this defense is going to have to protect against there's you're going to be so excited to go out there first game different color jersey amped up Woo, I mean, you're, you're feeling Ric Flair all over your body, and then all of a sudden, you take one step the wrong way, and Lamar Jackson takes advantage of you being out of position. Dang it, that is exactly what you cannot happen. So, there's got to be this unrelenting pursuit, yet under control, especially in the pass rush. If you leave him a seam, he's going he's gonna to exploit it. So there's a very fine line between balls to the wall and not really rushing. You've got to find that to collapse the pocket on Lamar. Not a couple guys from one side getting there and then the other two are kind of out of their lanes and Lamar, away he goes. 
That cannot, and I repeat, cannot happen. They've got to be under control, rushing Lamar, envelop him in the pocket, and then you got an opportunity to have him throw from that enveloped pocket, and maybe he throws you one or two, and that's where you want him to be. If you don't want creating scenes because some guys are undisciplined, they're going balls to the wall, and they're trying to get there, and in so doing, Lamar exploits them. So Will and Jerry Hughes and John Grenard and all the guys in the interior, it's got to be almost a slow burn, almost all long arms and bull rushes right into Lamar. And then maybe he tries to get out, he can't, and you sack him. That's where you can get those plays from. In 19 and in 20, Texans couldn't do that. They really couldn't do that. They must do it in 2023. All right, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. This Texans offense taking on the Ravens defense. Ravens were third in the NFL last year in run defense, giving up only 92 yards a game. Passing yards, they got beat up a little bit. So it's it's almost mirror images. They're really good running the ball, not so great throwing. Defense, really great stopping a run. Gave up 232.2 yards a game through the air. That's 26 in the league. They were 324.3 yards per game in total defense, total offense allowed. That was 24th in the league. Now, they were plus four turnovers, so that's good. Turnover margin is good for them. But they will not have Marlon Humphrey. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. Marlon Humphrey is out of this game. So, three keys come down to three questions against the Ravens' defense. Number one, can you find Roquan? Roquan Smith is a starting middle linebacker for the Ravens. He is an absolute bona fide stud. Texans saw him in week three last year, and they couldn't get a hat on him. And he had 15 tackles, a pick at the end. He was a menace all over the field. The Texans must find a way with a reconfigured offensive interior with Kenny Green out, Drew Scruggs out, Scotty Quesenberry hurt way back in training camp. Don't know exactly how that's going to look. I know Laramie Tunsil, and I know Shaq Mason, and after that, your guess is as good as mine. And so, that group, no matter who it is, still has to get to Roquan. Must. M-U-S-T, must. Must, must, must. If he's running to the field, running the ball unabated, forget it. Texans won't have 50 yards rushing. But if they can get a hat on Roquan, then they got an opportunity to run the football like they want to. And if they can't do it that way, then you got to find ways to get Damian Pierce the ball, which is still going to include getting a hat on Roquan Smith. All right, number two, can you exploit the secondary? The secondary without Marlon Humphrey. Now, we knew that was going to happen, but it's not as if the Ravens are sitting there with plentiful options in the secondary. They just don't have a lot of options. they got Rocky Seen, and they got Ronald Darby. That's really about it. Jalen Armour Davis... Can you exploit that? But no Marlon Humphrey, no more Marcus Peters over there, who was with the Ravens for a long time. Can the Texans exploit that? Can they get the ball at the Nico Collins and Robert Woods and Tank Dell against a secondary without those corners? That is a big key in this game. And because the guy that has to get them the ball is important in that, I ask you this third question and key. Can you, C.J. Stroud, stay calm? Now, the short answer would be yes. That's just C.J. He doesn't get riled up. He doesn't get uh, you know, too up or down while he's playing. He gets happy you know, for a score, cheers for his teammates, and all that kind of stuff. But can you stay calm during the game? First game, rookie, he's 
Now done it three times, but this is now the count season. It's now the regular season. So Ravens on the other side. They're facing ones the entire game. Crowd is going to be in a fervor. Can you stay calm? Now, CJ's been in some big environments. Let's not get it twisted. Rose Bowl two years ago. Uh, twice against Michigan. Played his entire career at Ohio State. Uh, national cha- uh, championship playoff game last year against Georgia. Todd Munkin got to see him up close. Um, so there are a lot of things to rattle a quarterback and a young quarterback at that point. Interior offensive line, garden uh, center in particular, not what you were working with. So can you stay calm? Because if C.J. Stroud can stay calm, I think there's a great opportunity to pitch and catch against that Ravens secondary. But to do that, poise, not getting rattled. If a mistake happens, get past it, move on to the next. There are going to be opportunities against that secondary. And when they're there, a calm and poised young quarterback and C.J. Stroud's got to take advantage of that. And hopefully, he will in game one. And there you have it, your keys to a win over the Baltimore Ravens. Now, let's learn a little bit more about the Ravens. D.P. Sitter's going to stop by to go behind enemy sidelines next, right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host. And a reminder, I'll be in Baltimore for the game. But there is a watch party, an away game watch party, presented by Sky Vodka for fans to cheer on our Houston Texans in the first regular season game, September 10th. We'll be hosting at Drift in the Heights. That's just around, like, that's like four or five blocks from me. And we'll have Houston Texans cheerleaders and a legend and to be determined Toro. Toro's got to get out there. There's an RSP, RSVP form that's being put out on social and our newsletters. Make sure you get out there and celebrate the away game watch party on Sunday at Drift in the Heights. Easy to get there, easy to find. All right, let's go behind enemy sidelines. You heard my keys to the game just now. Let's get it from the other side as it's our reporter roundup with DP Sidhu and from the Baltimore Ravens, Cassie Shirigo, giving you the skinny on Lamar Jackson and crew up in Baltimore. We're going behind enemy sidelines. We're talking to Baltimore Ravens team reporter, Cassie Cherigo. Cassie, I hope that you're as excited as we are about week one. <laughs> you get to open the season at home. The Texans, unfortunately, are going to be up on the road at Baltimore. But uh, what's the mood like there in Baltimore right now? It's good. This vibe with this team is is something that I haven't seen maybe since 2019 when the Ravens had a really crazy season that year. But with additions like Odell Beckham Jr., who obviously brings a lot of excitement both in Baltimore and nationally, um, it's just it's a really you know exciting time in this Ravens with this Ravens team. And there's just a lot of big pieces that have seemed to kind of finally fall into place for this team, especially on the opposite side of the ball. So the team is excited. I know that Baltimore, the fans are excited. We're definitely antsy to get to week one without a lot of starters, even seeing a lot of action in preseason. So the team is definitely rearing to go for Sunday. Yeah, have not seen any of Lamar Jackson throughout this preseason. I know the big storyline for the past few seasons has been his contract situation. So now that that's resolved, uh, he's got a new contract. He's got new receivers. He's got a new offensive coordinator. What are the expectations for Lamar Jackson here heading into, what is it, year six now with the team? You know, What are people expecting from him now that he's got a contract in place? 
Yeah, that's a great point. I think that it's definitely been a weight off, you know, internally, externally. That was the thing that everyone was talking about all season. So I know that he's glad to just not have to answer questions about it anymore. And obviously it's a life-changing, you know, deal for him and his family. But I think that, like you mentioned, we haven't seen him. We haven't seen any of the Ravens starters on offense so far this season. And with Todd Munkin coming in, the new offensive coordinator from Georgia, there's a lot of question marks on what this offense will look like. Obviously, they're not showing a lot in preseason, and so it'll be the first time we've seen guys like Mark Andrews, Bay Flowers, the really exciting rookie who's flashed a lot during training camp, Odell Beckham on the field, the Ravens running back, Jake Dobbins, Gus Edwards. There's an embarrassment of riches, which Lamar has not really ever had at his disposal here, especially when it comes to receiver. You know, Eric DaCosta acknowledged last week, this is the first time he's fielded calls about receivers, and he honestly, like, thought it was a joke at first. That's just not been typical of the Ravens offense, especially since Lamar has been here. So I think the expectations are high knowing that he does have these pieces and he'll be expected to deliver. But I think that he very much feels like he's up to that task. All right, we're talking with Cassie Chirigo, Baltimore Ravens team reporter. Let's talk about Odell Beckham Jr. because we haven't seen any of Lamar Jackson in the preseason, but we have really not seen any of Odell Beckham Jr. since uh, he injured his ACL back in the Super Bowl in 2022 with the Rams. So how has he looked in his return? And, you know, has he been a top target for Lamar Jackson in this offense? Yeah, the Ravens kind of worked him in gradually, being that this really is the first football action he's seen in such a long time. So they kind of had a process throughout the summer. So he's worked back in gradually. We definitely saw that ramp up to, towards the end of camp. And Lamar's obviously been effusive about how he feels about him. He says that he's, at this point, he's faster than a lot of people give him credit for. You know, he doesn't see anything hindering him in the time that he's had to work back. And Odell's been really, I guess, reflective is the word I would use. I think that he really sees this as an opportunity to kind of bolster his legacy. He's a dad. You know, this is the first time he's getting to have his son be around the facility and actually see what dad does for a living. And I think that he feels like that's a really special opportunity for him. You know, his son might not remember this years down the road, but this is a season that he really feels like he wants to go back and be able to show his son what he was able to accomplish. And so I think that there's a lot of personal, you know, gain there that he's really has this season earmarked for him that obviously he's done a lot of incredible things over his career, but he most certainly doesn't feel that he's done enough yet to kind of really bolster that legacy. All right. So Odell Beckham Jr. is the veteran, but then you've got the rookie in Zay Flowers, who, by the way, his rookie talent show performance went viral. So we <laughs> obviously know he's got some talents when it comes to singing, but what's impressed you about the rookie so far in what you've seen of him? Yeah, he is certainly charismatic and who knew he could uh, put on that kind of performance, but he's <laughs> great. You know, I was actually at the draft when we, when we took him this year and he's just a really good kid. You know, he's really excited to be here. He had a relationship with Odell previously um, so they were really excited to team up together. And Lamar Jackson has called him a joystick. That's kind of the nickname he's dubbed him with this camp. But he's he's really flashed. He's he's fast. He can really create separation. We saw in the commander's preseason game, he was in for a drive with quarterback Josh Johnson against the commander's first team defense. Touchdown, first drive. It only took about four plays to get down the field. And so if the if the Ravens can translate that into the regular season. Um, Lamar Jackson will be thrilled. So yeah, well, he's been really shifty, you know, obviously flashed in practice, both in joint practices with the commanders and against the Ravens defense, which is obviously no joke. So the Ravens are very, very excited about what he can bring. All right. Speaking of the Ravens defense, they trade for Roquan Smith last year, and then they added a guy that many Texans fans are familiar with and Jadeveon Clowney. So how has that defense improved from last year to this year? And where do you expect Clowney to fit in now that he's uh, with the team? So the Ravens will be without Tyus Bowser to start the season. He's starting on NFI. So Clowney kind of made sense 
to bring in late during training camp to kind of help fill that void. The Ravens really, really like their two young guys in David Ajabo and Adafi Owe. But Ajabo hasn't seen a ton of action. He's only played 16 games in his NFL career. And a lot of people know him from his Michigan, his year at Michigan. But um, the Ravens definitely think that he has a lot of room still to grow. And so they'll kind of try to bring those two younger guys along, kind of under Clowney's wing at the start of this season as they wait for Tyus Bowser to work back. Um, you know, I think corner has been a really big question mark, you know, externally, especially sort of the later half of training camp. The Ravens are without Marlon Humphrey right now, who's obviously the all pro um, at that position. And so there's a lot of question marks there. You know, you mentioned some of the acquisitions that the team made this offseason. They brought in Rocky Asin. Ronald Darby was a late training camp signing, but we haven't seen a ton of action from those guys in camp, both kind of dealing with injuries. Arthur Molette from the Steelers. So cornerback is another kind of big question mark. And But the Ravens feel good kind of about where they're at. You know, Coach Harbaugh talked this week that he's seen some of the position rankings that national media will put out this time of year. And I think corner is one that they kind of have circled that they don't feel like they're getting the respect externally. There's some young talent there with Jalen Arbor Davis, who is a big name coming out of Alabama a few years ago. So they kind of feel like they're in a better spot there than maybe people externally would think. And then you mentioned Roquan Smith, who teams up with Patrick Queen inside there and inside linebacker and we talked to him yesterday actually um, for our internal podcast here the lounge and queen is coming into a contract year the ravens didn't pick up his fifth year option which is something that he kind of had to emotionally grapple with this offseason and he's been pretty candid about obviously that's a tough situation to be in but he really feels that this season is kind of his chance to put his mark to earn that big contract you know coming out of this year so the contract year he's very motivated there but i'm excited just to kind of see all these little pieces that are coming together for this defense, I think will be interesting to see kind of how it plays out. I read a story that was really intriguing. It was about Melvin Gordon because a lot of teams were feeling calls about him and he decides he wants to stay with the Ravens and he's on the practice squad. So uh, why do you think he wanted to stay with the Ravens and what's his role sort of look like for the team? That's a great question. You know, I think that running back is always a position that's probably more highly valued in the Ravens offense than, you know, traditionally across the league. I think we've seen that be a national storyline this off season of just running back kind of being at a point that's not as valued as it traditionally has been as a lot of these guys are looking to sign big contracts going into this season. But, you know, the Ravens have JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards, who they're very high on both. They feel could be starting run, running backs in this league, but this is kind of a op- an offense that uses them highly. And so we've seen, you know, kind of late in the season that we've dealt with injuries there. You know, they definitely want it to be a position of depth because we do rely on it so much. They also have Justice Hill, who's who also uses, they use a lot on special teams. So I think there's opportunity there for Melvin. Obviously, with the new rules post-COVID, we see a lot of guys moving up in the practice squad. So I definitely feel like he could see some game action this year, which I think think he feels like he's at a good fit for this offense so interested to see like you know what that looks like later in the season will be interesting to see all right Texans at the Ravens week one Cassie Chirigo team reporter for the Baltimore Ravens Cassie appreciate the time see you up there in Baltimore can't wait we'll see Sunday that's correct cannot wait might be a rainy Sunday as we mentioned earlier might be a rainy Sunday so run games got to get going short passing game got to really focus on snatching the football those kind of things if the weather turns uh, in that direction which it sounds like it's going to man that's going to get ugly if that's the case but appreciate Cassie and DP of course for dropping by we get back to start off our second hour it's Texans OGs 
Indy Kalu's going to catch up with a Texan OG, a legend, as much as possible. And, well, who better to start that with than Jonathan Joseph? Now, they did this probably a couple months ago before training camp started, but still some great stuff. Indy Kalu and Jonathan Joseph as it's Texans OGs next right here on Texans All Access. We got one hour down, one hour left to go right here in a Friday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and I always love doing these shows, don't get me wrong, but the Friday show is so hard in some sense because you get so excited for a game on Sunday. It's like, man, let's just let's just get through Saturday, uh, Friday and Saturday, and get to this game on Sunday, man. Come on, man, let's go. Let's get there. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Absolutely, we'll get there. And we're going to get there, but first... We got to hear from Texans OGs. Oh, yes, this is going to be a segment you hear uh, either Wednesday or Friday. This week is Friday. Led by Indy Kalu. Indy sat down with Jonathan Joseph. Now, J. Joe was working with the squad uh, as one of the Bill Walsh Fellowship members. And I think he loved it. Now, we'll see what ends up happening. But that program is designated for just training camp. So, hopefully, J. Joe will find his way around uh, the guys, I talked to him earlier this summer after this interview, and I asked him uh, about what he was thinking, and he's just such a natural leader. I think he had a blast as a coach, but, you know, you don't want to always, well, you can only, co- no, JJ could do pretty much anything he wanted to. Andy Kalu really could as well. So this is a conversation that these two had a while ago talking about any number of things, and it is absolutely brilliant. Texans, OGs, oh, Andy Kalu and Jonathan Joseph. Andy, take it over. I am Indy Kalu, and we have one of our youngest OGs. Matter of fact, he's a, a YOG, a young, a young OG, Jonathan Joseph, joining us here in studio for a few minutes to catch up with J. Joe and see what he's got going on and talk about the upcoming season and do like we do. We're just going to talk the talk. First of all, I've told you this before. I'm probably going to keep telling this to you. Congratulations on a great career. I've been a fan of yours from afar from when you first entered the league and just the way you've carried yourself on the football field, off the football field, but just an amazing, amazing career. So congratulations on that. Oh, man, I appreciate it. You know, um, obviously, you know, I'm a fan of the game of football, so I've always been able to follow everybody. And, you know, obviously watching you throughout the league, your time here, you know, you guys set the standard for the Houston Texans. And I think it's always about building off of that culture. And I think, you know, when I got here, it still was a fairly new franchise and growing off what you guys did from a strong defensive-minded team, trying to put the pieces around guys like Andre Johnson, Arian Foster, Matt Schaub, and them guys. And our job was to carry the team as much as we could until we make that transition period. And I think, you know, that's what it was part of for me and just coming and embracing the culture of Texas football itself. You, you know, you, you bring up Texas football. Kind of talk about your early days, high school football, what that was like, and, and just your story to get to – you know, from going on to being a first-round pick to your story career, what was it like? What, what was it like for early Jonathan Joseph, middle school, high school years? Oh uh, man, I I guess I was a late bloomer. I wouldn't I wouldn't even honestly say I was a late bloomer. I didn't have the exposure. Mm. You know, um, for whatever reason it was, I come from a rich town of football. We actually just went to the state house and got our name changed to Football City USA okay. down in uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina, small town, about seventy thousand. Uh, my high school alone. Has six first-round picks, you know, the likes of Jeff Burrish, Rick Sanford, Benjamin Watson, Kadera Patterson, um, myself, uh, same hometown that produced Jadavion Clowney, Stephon Gilmore, Chris Hope, all these guys, Mason Rudolph, uh, you can go down the list. So um, it's a lot of athletics growing up, and it's a lot of competition. 
And um, that's what I seen growing up and, you know, to get into high school, the character tradition of just we always had guys on the defensive side of the ball. Not many guys played offense. And um, the famous thing in my high school, they won a state championship two to nothing, blocked the game-winning mm-hmm. field goal. So, you know, it was defense in me from a very young age, and that's all I was breeded upon. And I just wanted to carry that mentality. And, you know, throughout my high school career, I was All-State, made the North Carolina, South Carolina All-Star team, things like that. But I still didn't have the big offers, you know, like uh, I expected to have. Was top uh, athlete in my school, played basketball, track, um, but still didn't have an opportunity. So I went to junior college first, took that route, um, worked on my grades. And um, when I left junior college, obviously at junior college, it woke me up also because it showed me that it was other talent out there other than the talent that was just in my hometown. Although we had the rich culture of sports and competition, it's still a next level to everything. Mm-hmm. And I think going to junior college, being around guys like Darrell Shropshire, Brandon Jacobs, rest in peace to Damian Nash. Um, my defensive backfield, we had Randy Kelly, but two of bigger names were Deshaun Gosen and uh, Reggie Nelson. So he was in the same, you know, defensive backfield in junior college. So I was able to look across and see a guy that was just as good as me. Um, we were able to push each other, and I left with about 25, 30 offers. And um, from there, got to South Carolina. Day one was a starter. Um, worked my way. I earned uh, most improved defensive back when I first got there, which I always tell people because I think it starts in the offseason. Broke my foot my first year there. And um, from there, worked hard again the next offseason. And I won most outstanding defensive back in the spring. So, you know, it was the same work. And then that year there, I was able to produce a good enough season where I left as an underclassman, as a junior, to the NFL draft. And I think the rest was kind of history. But there was a lot of work put up in between there. But once I kind of had my mind set up and my mind made on what I wanted out my career and what I wanted to try to do, I just had to put the work in. There's so much there to unpack. Uh, it's funny, <laughs> you talked about your high school having not six guys in the NFL, but six first-round <laughs> picks. And I'm from San Antonio, and, you know, growing up in Texas, we think we're all about football. My high schools, myself, Priest Holmes, went to the league. I was a fifth-round pick. He wasn't even drafted, and that was a big deal. And for your high school to have six first-round <laughs> First of all, y'all's weight room better be off the chain or all y'all cheap. <laughs> y'all, y'all, if y'all's weight room ain't the best weight room in the city. Hey, man, we I'm got the band together. One man can't be responsible. <laughs> I'm blaming you and everybody else. So, But that's amazing. Like, because I'm a huge high school football fan. I just I love football. I'm kind of like you. I've been right. a fan of the game, and I just love the sport. But And that small town to produce. Even when I play, like Fred Davis, Dunta Robinson, I'm like, South Carolina, where are all these cats, you know, coming from South Carolina? Like, there is something there where, would you say it's a football state or is it baseball first and y'all just have the talent? Because when we think high school football, we're a little pretentious. Oh, it's all about Texas. But per capita, y'all putting out some numbers. I think it's definitely a football state for sure. Okay. You know, but my hometown, the biggest revenue is sports, you know, whether it's from – Little League, whether it's from basketball, baseball, BMX bike riding, kayaking, whatever it is. So it's just competitive all around the board down there. Then you go to some of the lower country, you know, they're even more competitive because they don't have access to certain things, you know, so they put a lot of time into training, being tough, whatever it is. And a lot of these kids get looked over over times to where, you know, like our basketball icons are Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen. Those guys are from South Carolina but went to, you know, schools outside. You know, Jermaine O'Neal from Columbia, South Carolina. Alex English, some of those guys, but Jermaine O'Neal and those guys at my age, Raymond Felton. So we don't have many because North Carolina to me is a more of a basketball state. You got the prestigious schools and all those there in North Carolina. But for us, it was all about football, you know, growing up. And we had examples in front of us to see, you know, like Chris Hope, 
uh, was the biggest guy. I wouldn't say the biggest guy, but from my era, he's four years older than me. But looking mm -hmm. up, I just remember his eighth grade middle school team undefeated, unscored on. Mm -hmm. So you just always was chasing things like that. He was yeah. the number one defensive back in the country, number three running back in the country at the same time. So just seeing those examples, you're just willing to go out there and work hard just to give it a shot and knowing that it's something past high school football, but it's not going to be easy. But at the same time, just creating that bond amongst the guys and just pushing one another. You said something else I wanted to dig in because you experienced it not too long ago, and I know I'm late to the party, but I became a huge fan of Last Chance U and just seeing the route going from JUCO uh, to the big program. Some of these guys went from the big programs, JUCO, then back up. But one thing I noticed, and I, I can't wait to hear your experience, you got to really love football to stick it out because maybe it's the editing, but it just seemed like so many of the guys there when things didn't go their way, they were just ready to leave. You know, the facilities weren't the best. Uh, big games didn't have that many people. So can you kind of talk about, like, did you ever think to yourself, oh, this isn't for me, or what your experience <laughs> was like at the JUCO before you went off to a big-time powerhouse football program? Oh, absolutely, man. If you don't love football, JUCO is not the place for you. <laughs> JUCO is because, for one, you know, obviously you don't have the resources, so you're going to be facing that challenge. And for me back then, I never even seen Coffeeville, Kansas. I caught a bus 36 hours, no cell phone, you know, so it was me and my cousin. So got dropped off at a muffler dealership, waited about an hour till somebody come pick you up, you know. So then you look on Last Chance U, it's, the rules are different. When I played, it was a 55-man team, 43 guys from Kansas, 12 guys from out of state. Now it's unlimited, no out-of-state rule. So when I got there, we had 16 out-of-state corners. Mm -hmm. I was the only out-of-state corner they kept that made the roster <laughs> out of them 12 guys. And most of those 12 guys were the skill guys, right. you know, and um, it was just a competitive roster. We sent like 20-some guys to Division One, But out of those 20-some guys, it probably was another 50 guys, 25 guys that probably could have went. Mm -hmm. The guys like my first week there, my first my two weeks there, I redshirted my first year there. I was upset, mad, called my mama. I'm ready to leave, come back home, go to Division Two, Division Three, because these coaches want me. I'm upset. Uh, that ain't what I was told on the phone. And then over time, you just start to meet guys, you know, that love football just like you, and it's all the same. You don't even look at your conditions mm -hmm. to where um, I had guys come in there. Some guys couldn't stay two days, never unpacked the bags. Hmm. Like, dang. Then you look up, he's running back at Oklahoma, you know. Yeah. So it's just different ways. Then you look up, some guys just pack up and leave and just never get into football again. So I think it's a challenge within itself. But I think the right program with the right coaches, because those coaches have to love football too. Right. A lot of those coaches living in the dorms with the players, not making twenty, no, not making seventy five hundred thousand, two hundred, three hundred thousand. These coaches making thirty thousand, mm -hmm. you know, living every day to their lives, just like a college uh, kid almost. So I think being in those right environments and having coaches that want to see you get past that and see you grow as a kid, as a man also. And I think we had that at Coffeeville. We had great examples. Brandon Jacobs was the running back there. Mm -hmm. So we had people to look up to and examples. And I think it was just about choosing the right path. So how many years were you there altogether? Three semesters. Three semesters. Know, they give you, you can be there. You can be there for like two years. Okay. But you can go to summer school. And when I there, you had to graduate. So basically have 64 hours and you get to 64 hours, you can get up out of there. So you registered it, then you balled out, I'm assuming, because yep. you had so many offers. Then as soon as the season was over, you I were left in the move. spring. Okay. And the biggest thing, you know, coming out of JUCO, you want to leave in the spring so you're able to do spring football Got it. when you get on campus. Because you come in the summer, 
everybody been competing for spots. Roster spots already kind of dictated. So my biggest thing is I'm leaving here in January. You know, so when I got to South Carolina, I was there in January able to do spring ball. Over 20 offers. What were the three schools that came down to and why'd you ultimately decide to go go back home? Uh, it's funny now because like programs change over time. Like mm -hmm. back then Oregon wasn't Oregon. Mm -hmm. A&M wasn't A&M. Baylor wasn't Baylor. Like, but then would be the first ones that come in your locker. So right. you're excited. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oregon, like, because Oregon was just getting Nike, getting all that. But they wasn't Oregon when they had all these guys running up and down the field for all these yards to us. Right. So to get Oregon, you happy and excited, but you're still looking for, like, Georgia or some of them. Then you realize, like, Georgia ain't coming to JUCO. Uh -huh. Clemson ain't coming to JUCO. So then you're starting to see, you know, certain schools, Kansas, Kansas State, South Carolina, Auburn. And then for me, it was more so just finding the right fit. That's particularly year before me, if you remember, I don't know, but Dante Robinson left South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Carlos Rogers left Auburn. Ahmaud Carroll left Arkansas. Kiwan Ratliff left Florida. Okay. All the same draft. Mm -hmm. And every one of those schools was one of the top ones for me because they all basically said, we guarantee you a starting spot when you get here. Huh. And uh, that's all I cared about, you know, because I already had a red shirt year coming from JUCO. So when I got there, I wanted to play immediately. Right. So for me, it was about best fit, best scheme, and – South Carolina came down ultimately because it was close to home. I had a son at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, Dante Robinson just got drafted. So I seen that, you know, before him it was Sheldon Brown, Andre Goodman, other guys. I played with Sheldon. Yeah. Too. Hey, you talk about somebody who get hit. <laughs> oh, yes, Sheldon indeed. True country boy. Yeah. <laughs> That's my guy. No doubt. <laughs> wow. So, man, small world. Now, wasn't Fred Davis there also? Yep, Fred. Yeah. Uh, Fred, Fred Bennett. Fred, Fred Bennett. Bennett. Fred I'm Bennett. Sorry, Me and Fred, Fred Bennett was the corners together. Yeah, Me yeah. and Fred Bennett was the corners together. Okay, yeah. See, this is what I love about football. Even though I'm older than you and we, we just missed each other as far as playing together. You know, I played with Fred, played with Dante, obviously, then Sheldon Brown. Uh, to this day, I think of him as, you know, the young pup when he got to Philly. That's what we <laughs> called him. So, I, I really – and I'm not asking this question just to say, oh, yeah, you know, maybe. But going JUCO and not having the facilities as a South Carolina, do you appreciate – did you appreciate it more? Like when you walk in the building, like your locker room, the stadium, or is it because you expected to be there anyway, you didn't really get a chance to appreciate it? I, I, I definitely appreciate it more. It's okay. like psychological in a sense to me also because uh, coming from JUCO, you didn't have nothing. It was nothing like now. We know we're trying to go to Hibbit Sports or whatever to see can we even get some cleats hmm. for the game, you know, because they're going to come out and just give you whatever in the same little big, you know, laundry bucket, pick it from there. Mm -hmm. And if your people ain't got no money or nothing like that to send you nothing, you still playing in your high school cleats mm -hmm. or whatever else, pass down. And, um, you know, jerseys, whatever. And, you know, the showers that you're going to go in, you know, it's not nothing like a Division One school. Right. So when I got to South Carolina, a lot of guys, I think that time we probably was still sponsored maybe by Russell or somebody. So – they looking around, man, we want Nike, we want Under Armour, we want this. I'm happy because I got free stuff. <laughs> I, I got all these snacks. We ain't got to go up here to, to the uh, Walmart with the George Foreman, yeah. with the meat patties. You know, we ain't got to worry about it. if we're going to get player of the game to get a free pizza on wow. Sunday between me, Deshaun, and Reggie, who's going to get this free player of my cousin that running back. Mm -hmm. One of us going to get this free pizza for all the boys. So it was just different ways to look at it when you got there. So. You know, like for me, when I got to South Carolina, I was in heaven. Mm -hmm. Man, it's a nice place to stay. You can get your off-campus apartment. They give you a check. They do this. So um, my mentality was different. Now I can just focus on football. Right. You know? Right. So you go from JUCO, you go to South Carolina. When did it hit you? When, when did you realize, like, not only am I going to get a chance to go to the NFL, like, I'm going to be a top pick. Like, when, when did you start having those thoughts and realization? I never really thought about the top pick, honestly, up until probably – 
draft time, combine time. Okay, I so just you know, were thinking about it leading up to it. Not leading up to it. I just okay. was working and just grinding. And then, nice. you know, people start telling you how good you are. And then you send it in, they give me a second round grade. So now I'm like, all right, it's legit now. Mm. You know, but before that, like before the year, um, like honestly, I tell people this all the time. Like I didn't even know who Mario Williams really was up until the draft. Okay. You know, just because it wasn't like social media. I wasn't like all into it. I'm coming from JUCO. Right. So I missed all the recruiting process and all that stuff. So we don't play in the SEC, ACC. Mm-hmm. So I hear Mario Williams, you know, because I'm all in my world. Yeah. I'm competing against Antonio Camardi, Mike Huff, all these defensive backs. So for me, it was just more so putting the work in, putting the time in, and me having the confidence because the confidence came from me seeing Dante, seeing some of the other guys who came back around. I seen the way they move, seeing their stature and size and all that, and just kind of size myself up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you look at your attributes, you can run, you can do this. That's just all the confidence you need. You know, it was a short period of time because I think I only played 12 Division One games. Hmm. Now, there's a lot of fast, strong brothers, but cornerback is something special. Like, what what, what are the attributes to make a good cor- a cornerback? Man, you got to be mentally tough and you have to be physically tough. I think from a standpoint, you're not going to always be the biggest guy, maybe not the fastest guy, but you got to have some scrap and fight in you mm-hmm. because it's not – the rule's never going to be in your favor. The ball's not coming to you. You know, um, everybody's watching. You know, you can have a great game early on. One play can decide it, and everybody in the football world understands it. But the higher level you up and everybody's watching, that's a lot of pressure. So I think it's just all those things just building up into one. Obviously, you have to have the athleticism, feet work, skill set. But I think just a true mental makeup of being able to see the game. Once you can see the game, it can slow it down to you to where you don't have to rely on your physical skill set as much. See, I'm not just saying this because you're in front of me. I've said it for years. Outside of quarterback, if someone asks me what do you think is the toughest position on an NFL team, it's cornerback because I never quite understood, and I've been a defensive guy my whole life, how you can line up in front of somebody who runs a 4-2, 4-3-40, and you have to mirror him. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not pandering to you, but I just never understood. So – for me, before a game, I have to get psyched. Like, I have to be like, you know what? This fool who's 6'6", 350 pounds in front of me, like, I'm going to chop his ass down. Like, you know, I have to, like, hype myself up. But y'all have to be a little more, what's the word, uh, you know, under control. Oh, because, no doubt. you know, you got to, like, so. W- 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 it's kind of controlled chaos. Process? It's controlled chaos. And even I think, for y'all? And I think because, like, my son, for example, even, like, it's funny because cornerback, I played cornerback my whole life, but I kind of see it from the other side because I know how to attack a cornerback. Okay. I know what he can do, what he should protect, and how you got to protect it. So for me, and all these 707s and high school stuff with coming up with my kids, I'm all about let's attack his ass. Let's go beat him because I know how to beat him. I don't care about his skill set. Okay. I just know how to attack him. And for me, I just put as much time and energy in learning what the wide receiver had to do for his job. Like if I don't let him do this, he ain't even getting the ball. Mm. Okay. You know, yeah. he has to cross my face. If he don't, the quarterback going to turn his head. You know, certain things like that. So it's just about as much information you can pick up that you can put in your head to process that slows the panic down. Okay. Because you ain't going to always be in best position. You know, you may be out of phase. You may be this. But the more repetitions, the more you see it and you understand it, now why everything is going that fast in the game, you already slowed down because you can anticipate a little quicker. Nice. Now what's the most enjoyable, enjoyable part? Like for – Defensive lineman, it's the feeling of wrapping up a quarterback, knowing the ball still in his hand. Like, what's the most enjoyable part for a, a all-pro cornerback? 
Everybody probably get up there and be like a pick six and all that. And, of course, it is, but it's just locking a wide receiver up. Okay. It ain't nothing better than that. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because you know, like, just think about it, to go out there and lock a guy up that all week long, the other team put all that time in practice to get him the ball. Mm. <laughs> then he get two catches. He get two catches and locked up. Yeah. Like, nothing better than that because that's, that's what you put your pride in yourself in. You know what I'm saying? And you ain't going to win them all. Mm -hmm. But when you do win them, you know what it means. No different than we go down in seven on seven in practice and we lock the offense up. You know yeah. they mad because yeah. you know they want that period. They want to win. They'll go all day just to beat us. <laughs> and the coaches, for some reason, always, hold on, let's run it back. Let's they're always going to uh, make it for the offense or they're going to go to the offense has success. Who who are some of the guys where you, you would say to yourself, okay, I got to – you know, spend a little more time in the weight room, spend a little more time in the film study because you truly respected what they could do. Who were some of the receivers that you, you put in that extra time before the game? Man, honestly, I was caught up in the era where I felt like we probably had more Hall of Fame wide receivers than you probably can think of because hmm. I was in the mid-2000s to the 2010s all the way up. You know, if you think when I first came Fitzgeralds. in. you had Before they had, you know, Heinz Ward. Ooh. Uh, my just in my Heinz Ward, Derek Mason, you know Clayton going against them guys, and then mm -hmm. you had um, Brandon Marshall, Laverne's Coles, all those guys. Um, kid that was at Buffalo that played at Wisconsin, Lee Evans, all yeah. them fast dudes, and Quan Bolden, Larry Fitzgerald, Chad Johnson, that bunch. So you just got a whole Terrell Owens still going, mm -hmm. you know Marvin Harris still in the Indy. Um, uh, the other one that's a Hall of Fame also, Marvin Harris and Reggie, Reggie Wayne. Wayne. Yep. You got Stokely. You got your New England receivers. You got Roddy White. You got uh, Joe Horn. You got every, uh, week. every week. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you got the transition where it went into DeAndre Hopkins. I ain't even went to Andre Johnson. You just keep going on that list with them receivers. Steve Smith. Right. All them guys are Hall of Fame dudes. Ain't no week off. What What makes a Hall of Fame receiver? Route running. I, think I mean, I know it's all of the above. All, all but, of the above, yeah. but it's a guy that you got to meet to me. Is a guy that you got the game plan for, and he truly dictates the game. Got you. And he does it week in and week out. Obviously, you got to put the time over the course. Like, you may have a guy that doesn't actually get into the Hall of Fame, but he's a Hall of Fame talent. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if Chad Johnson's going to get in there or not, but was he a Hall of Fame talent? Absolutely. We've seen what he did on the field up and down. Like, I've seen how he was able to dictate games and manipulate games and do that. No different with DeAndre Hopkins, Andre Johnson down the list. Like, a guy that you know getting the ball and he get it. A guy that's winning in must-win situations. That's a guy. Well, you talk about Hall of Fame. Like, you know, when you look back at your career, I, I was looking this up probably last week because we were talking about the greats of Texans and ranking them. I know you had like eight TDs, uh, 32 interceptions. I yeah. mean, those are big numbers. Like, uh, I, I'm sure you're going to be put into the South Carolina Hall of Fame if you haven't already, the Texans Ring of Honor. What, is that something you think about? Is that something people whisper in your ear to where it's a thought? Uh, people, you hear it, but it's kind of like something that you can't get too high on and get your hopes up for because you got to understand it's a process. Like, I've watched guys before me who I think have had amazing careers. And they've had to wait their turn for however long. Mm -hmm. And um, you see some guys take, you know, different approaches to it, react different to it. You know, all you can do is just put the body of work in and let everything else take care of itself. I think the more you beat yourself up over the game that you, you know, used to love and expect more from it, I think that's just the wrong approach. I think for me, um, anything that comes after me putting that, taking that helmet off is just more power and just, you know, honor to what I've done when I had that helmet on. Right. You know, obviously, I'm, I was never in that conversation, but 
the guys who are on the fringe, I feel like it's tough because, like you mentioned, anything that you get after this is just be thankful, blessed. I hate the fact that guys that are close, when they don't get it, it's, it's like they're disappointed. But it's like, can't nobody take away 32 interceptions from you. Can't right. no one take away eight TDs, you know, from a defensive cornerback away from you. So that's the tough part for guys that are on the fringe. Uh, you know, we we're talking about cornerbacks. I just say honestly, with, and sorry to cut you oh, off. Oh, no, no. This is my thing that I just don't, only thing with that is, I hate seeing them make guys wait for so long. Okay. And then you see some of these guys eventually pass away or whatever, deceased, mm -hmm. and now they're getting in. Yeah. Like, I don't like that part of it. Yeah, I'm with you. you know? I'm with you. Especially the guys you're like, no, he should have been. Yeah, exactly. And this is what I hate when they only look at stats. Like, no, look at the impact. The uh, impact. No, that's the that's the part I don't like is just looking at the stats. Like, right. I played against Heinz Ward. I don't know what his stats were, but that, to me that's a Hall of Fame right. football player. Right. It's like Andre saying. Johnson. Like, yeah, he's going to get in there, but, like, just imagine, you can't say a quarterback don't make a difference, mm -hmm. you know, because you put a Hall of Fame quarterback up there, he got Hall of Fame numbers, he got to throw it to somebody. Right. Now you put a Hall of Fame talent out there with that quarterback. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Man, that was a blast. I'm glad we're going to have that weekly with Andy Clue. And, of course, this one was with Jonathan Joseph. All right, we get back, as I do every single week during the season on Friday, with our second segment of Second Hour. It's time for the picks, baby. NFL predictions straight up and against the spread for fun. For fun. But it's always fun. It's a good way to talk about these games that go around the NFL. We'll do that next right here on Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access. I am John Harris, football and all sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And this is the segment I love. Picks, predictions, against the spread and straight up for fun. For fun. F-U-N spells fun. But I love doing it. It's a good way to go around the NFL, too, and talk about the games that are happening that don't include the Texans and, of course, AFC South games and things like that. So let's get my music going because we got to rock. And we got to rock fast because we got a lot to do on this show. So let's start in Cleveland where the Browns are taking on the Bengals. The Bengals are two-point favorites on the road. Joe Burrow's back, and he's rich. He's the highest-paid player in NFL history. I think the Bengals are better than the Browns and in week one. That's where I'm rolling. I think the Bengals beat the Browns by three, 24-21. That covers the two. Bengals win on the road and cover. The Bucks are taking on the Vikings. I do not trust either team, to be honest. But Vikings at home, they're minus five. They're a five-point favorite. I think the Vikings win that thing by seven or more. I think Baker plays okay. I think it's an under for sure. Uh, and I'm going to go with the Vikings to win and to cover that at home. Titans taking on the Saints. Saints are three-point favorites. I cannot pick the Titans. Not in good conscience. So I'm going Saints to win that. It's close. I, I would not, if I was putting some paper on it, I would not pick this game at all. But because I do it this way, and it's for fun, I'm going with the Saints to beat the Titans 21-17. And that covers the three. The Panthers are taking on the Falcons. Another couple of teams I don't trust. Bryce Young, the offensive line, that's just been, ugh. Atlanta's been playing okay, but we haven't seen them all together, and obviously Desmond Ritter is going to be a big factor for the Falcons. I think I'm going to go with the Falcons to win, but I think the Panthers will get inside that three and a half. That's going to be a three-point game, 24-21, 2017. I think it's something of that magnitude. Falcons win it. Panthers keep it closer than the experts think. All right, Jaguars taking on the Colts. This one is in Indianapolis, which gives the Colts a chance. Jacksonville's favored by five. Hmm, boy, this is tricky. This is tricky. Anthony Richardson rolling. I mean, the Jaguars are going to see that offense for the first time. 
Texans are going to see in week two. I think that does keep the Jaguars kind of off balance a little bit. So I'm going to go with the Colts to cover the five, but Jaguars are going to get the win on the road and start this season off on a good note. It kind of stinks because AFC South is going to win a game there. And hopefully one's going to lose. But then again, AFC South teams met the opener last year in Houston, and it was a tie. 49ers taking on the Steelers. Nick Bosa apparently will play, but it's in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was getting all kinds of love this preseason. I mean all kinds of love. But the 49ers are a different animal altogether. You know what? I'm going to go with an upset here. I'm going to go with the Steelers to win, and obviously with a win, they're going to cover. I'm going to go with the Steelers. They did it last year against the Browns. They came out of the shoot hot. I think Kenny Pickett's going to be a little bit better than Brock Purdy. I'm going to go with the Steelers to win and cover. Well, by winning, they will cover um, because they're uh, the underdog here. Steelers at home. Cardinals taking on the Commanders. I don't believe in the Cardinals at all. No offense to Josh Dobbs. I think Commanders are favored by seven. That feels right. Probably should be more. So I'm going to go Commanders to win and cover that seven-point spread at home with their new owner, Josh Harris and Magic Johnson. Raiders going to the Broncos. Randy Gregory has said some things that he doesn't like about Mark Davis. The Raiders are, I'm sorry, Denver's a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I think the Raiders keep that thing close. And you know what? Nah, not going to do it. I think the Broncos are going to get a win in Sean Payton's debut. The question is the three-and-a-half. How do I feel about that? I think the Raiders are going to get inside that number. It's going to be close. 24-21. I mean, 17-14. Three-point game. Broncos win it. Raiders get the cover. Dolphins taking on the Chargers out in L.A. Uh, in a 325 central kick. So, Dolphins are going to... It's a late one for them, to be honest with you. But, if I got a roll here... You know what? The Chargers, I'm going with. I'm going with the Chargers to win that thing and cover the three. Eagles taking on the Patriots. I think the Eagles... Get it done. I don't think they'll hammer the Patriots, but I feel like a seven-point win, 24-17 is the key. That's Eagles covering the four and a win. Packers taking on the Bears. I'm going Packers. Jordan Love to beat the Bears and cover that one and a half. Rams taking on the Seahawks without Cooper Cup. He's gone to IR. Seahawks favored by five. I do not give the Rams a shot in this. Seahawks are going to win that thing and cover the five. And then Sunday night, you got the Cowboys taking on the Giants. I think with Dallas favored three and a half, I'm going upset Giants to win and obviously cover that three and a half. Monday night, this is the toughest one. Zava taking on Josh Allen. Bills, Jets. Buffalo's favored by two and a half. You know what? In game one, I'm going to get this one to the Jets. Can't believe I'm doing it, but I'm doing it. Jets upset winners on Monday night football. All right, those are your picks and predictions coming up next. We got a lot to do. We got Denzel Perryman and Reporters Roundtable to finish up right here on Texans All Access. Man, we got a lot to do in this final segment of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and so glad you've been with me this evening. We had such great stuff. Just gave you my picks for every NFL game, and being honest as I am, I would have missed last night. Now, I did make my selection before Kelsey was hurt, so I didn't go back and change it at that point, but... Yeah, you probably would have changed it. I would have changed it after Kelsey. I don't think I would have had the Lions winning, but I would have had the Lions covering. So, I'm being honest. I'm being honest. I missed the pick. Um, but, man, Kelsey was a huge loss. And Kadarius Tony may have just dropped another pass. My God, that was an awful outing for the former Florida Gator. There was one tweet that kind of got me. It said, well, I think it was Bucky Brooks, NFL uh, Network. He said, well, what could you expect? The guy missed all of practice. Well, yeah, they don't play him. If he missed all of practice... Like we mentioned earlier, Jimmy Ward missed all of practice this week. Don't play him. That's he's not ready. Then don't play him. Well, they played him. Then there are no excuses. If a guy's playing in a game, no excuses. 
Should have caught those. I mean, those are easy catches. Plus, as if he had to lay out for those. So, either way, Lions 1-0, Chiefs 0-1. Uh, but we did all those predictions last segment. This segment, boy, we got a lot to do. First, we're going to catch up with Denzel Perryman for a little Drew's Dozen. Let's go, Drew. Denzel Perryman, linebacker for the Houston Texans. You were the third Coral Gables High School Cavalier to play for this franchise. Do you know who the other two are? The third? Yeah. You didn't play with these other players, necessarily. The third? Third. I don't know, Daryl Sharpton. Daryl Sharpton is correct. And there's another guy who's he has been in the league lately. I think he might still be in the league. Buddy Howell. Played running back. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. Yeah. Buddy Howell's my cousin, so that's kind of messed up. That's your cousin? Up. Yeah. <laughs> that's messed up for me to forget Come on, that. you got to know your family better, <laughs> That's Denzel. messed up for me to forget that. <laughs> okay, oh so that's pretty amazing in itself. You got two guys there. But let's reel off who else has been there. Jonathan Vilma, Frank Gore, way back, a guy who kicked in Houston for the Oilers, Al Del Greco, and you. Hey, I was talking with one of your fellow linebackers, Jake Hansen. He said you got to ask him about his dogs. What's the deal with your dogs? So I have four dogs. Uh, like adult dogs, uh, three girls, one boy, uh-huh. and one of my dogs has dropped like nine puppies. Whoa! Yeah. What type of dogs? Uh, pits. Pits. Okay. Yeah. How long have you been with these dogs? Well, I had these dogs for what three years, but I've gotten a dog probably like every year. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he said, "I bet Denzel doesn't have to pick up all the poop after them." Do you have somebody doing that for you? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. I got to you. I do. But, like, days when I'm not being lazy, like, if I let them out, they, you know, use the bathroom, all that good stuff, then I'll pick it up. Do you take them for a walk, or do they take you for a walk when you when you walk? I don't see. Somebody else taking for a you walk. You tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I ain't gonna lie. I got a dog walking, man. Like, when I'm here, like, they just be sitting at the house in the cage, so I have somebody, you know, actually, like, literally come, like, walk them and do all that good stuff. Now, when you're just hanging around the house, are they hanging out with you? It all depends. The boy dog uh, doesn't know how to stop humping, like, the girl dogs. Like, <laughs> literally, one dog's always in heat, so... I'd be feeling bad, you know, like having him out and the girls in the cage. So yeah. I'll just leave him in the cage and have the girls out. I got you. Do they oh. hang out on the couch with you at all? I try to keep them off the furniture. Yeah. I try right. to keep them off the furniture. You're a responsible dog owner, so you're not like me. We got we got wiener dogs, and sometimes we'll be pillow forts <laughs> and stuff. So, Denzel, you win uh, as far as the dog ownership there and discipline. Okay. Which of your teammates needs to have a dog in his life? Who needs to have a dog in their life? Because I've got coworkers that I, I know they don't have dogs. It's like, they need a dog because uh, this reason, this reason, and that reason. I don't know. Does Jake have a dog? Jake. I'm handsome, handsome. I don't think he does. He might need a dog. Jake needs a dog? Sometimes Jake be walking around like, you know, he's uh, lost his best friend or something. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He, he might need a dog or a fish or something. Okay. Or a fish. That's a big Yeah, I got like two big... fish tanks, too. So, that's another thing that he Oh, yeah. What type of fish you got? Some African cichlids, and in my room, it's like a saltwater tank. There's a Nemo in there, uh-huh. and some other two fish in the cleaning shrimp. Pardon my ignorance, what's a cichlid? Is that a big fish, little fish? I mean, what type uh, they're like little small fish. I, I, I guess they're supposed to get big at some point, but uh-huh. it's just like a community tank. So okay. it's like a lot of different fish that can somewhat mingle together. Pit bulls, fish, anything else? Any other animals? <laughs> no. <laughs> no? All right, all right, all right. Your cheat meal is what? When you're just eating what you want to eat, you don't have to worry about, you know, the calories and what this is. What are you eating? I don't worry about that, period. So, honestly, <laughs> I eat anything. Like, so, every meal is a cheat meal sometimes? Yeah, today I had, like, four pounds of crab legs. Yesterday I had wings and lobster bites. Today I might have pasta. Like, it, it varies. What am I going to move for? I mean, this this Texans uh, heat is a little different. So, you yeah. don't sweat out everything you eat. Yeah, we got the market cornered on heat and humidity in this town. It's, uh, it's no joke. Which is better? You've had five picks in your career. Well, which is better, a strip sack or an interception? 
I like the interception. Yeah. Same interception. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're both turnovers, but sometimes the interception, like it just, it's like it's like a momentum change. Uh, I say interception. Interception, okay. Nine years in the NFL now, still searching for that first touchdown. It's coming this year. So when you score, how are you going to celebrate? I have no idea. No idea? Like I always said I had like an ideal celebration, but every time, you know, I make a play or something like that I thought about doing, I just do like the old Tiger Woods, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's nothing crazy, nothing crazy. Do you have any teammates from the past or maybe from the present that you've seen them celebrate in a certain way and you're like, I like that, that's a good celebration? Uh, Keenan Allen had a couple little touchdown celebrations. Mm -hmm. Melvin Gordon has had some. Max Crosby, when he gets the sack, like everybody had their own little mojo. All right, so I'll be watching, not. I'll be watching. I think you're getting in the end zone this year. It's, I got feel it coming. Okay. I like that, manifest which, yeah, make it, make, just think it into existence. Which teammate of yours pumps you up the most? I'll say Will Anderson. Oh, yeah? How come? Yeah. Uh, just his motor. Yeah. His motor and just the way, like, he just go about it every single day and every play, like, kids nonstop. Like I said, he's just an angry guy to, in general. <laughs> I like that angry part that you've, you've oh, brought yeah. in a few times. Okay, on the, on the flip side, which teammate is very calming? Say Steve Nelson. Okay. Steve. He's, uh, like, the, the, the cool guy. I call him, like, the cool guy. I mean, we both going on year now, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's just cool, calm. He keeps everybody like chill. Jimmy Ward's another one. MJ's another one. Eric Murray is another one. Like okay. the whole little DB group. Like a lot of them chill. That's a good call on Nelson. That's a guy who doesn't need a dog. He's, I think he's got dogs, but he's got yeah, peacocks. He's yeah, got Yeah, I was cow. about to say, the Nelson Farm thing, I told him I got to come check it out and yeah. I got to get some eggs. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eggs are good. How do you like your eggs cooked? Scramble. Scramble, okay. Salt I'm and an, pepper. Nothing too crazy. Nothing too crazy. I'm an over hard guy with a little salt and pepper. Um, <laughs> last thing. What are your thoughts on ghosts? I don't mess with them. You don't mess with them? I don't mess with them. them. I leave them right where they at. But you I, believe I, them, I respect. Huh? Yeah, I, I believe all that good stuff. Okay. But you, I don't, you know, I don't try to open that door or none of that good stuff like that. Have you seen a ghost or experienced a ghost? Nope, and I don't want to. Do you know someone who has? Uh, who supposedly have, yeah. And I keep them from, like, okay. you keep your ghosts and friends, all that good stuff away from me. Do you want to tell the story or do you want to just, like, leave it? No, nah, I'll just leave it. You just leave it? I get goosebumps, all so. Right. Well, Denzel Perryman, this has been a Drew's Dozen. It's always great to talk with you. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. Man, I love when Drew sinks his talons into a, a new victim, if you will. <laughs> Denzel Perryman absolutely rolled with it. All right, let's close the show down with this. Mark Vandermeer is going to catch up with a couple of the reporters in Houston throughout the year. We call it Reporters Roundtable. Mark, take it away. It's the Reporters Roundtable, or should I call it Texans Beat? I'm not sure yet, but we can discuss that among many other things as Cody Davis joins us from Locked On Texans and Texans Daily and Big Sarge from the Big Sarge Media Platform, which is a huge conglomerate, and also USA Today's The Texans Wire. Yes. Gentlemen, great to visit with you. As we go here with the Reporters Roundtable, first of all, general thoughts on the Texans taking on the Ravens. Here we are at the precipice, the start of the season. Cody? Um, I think this game is going to be a first of a learning curve. You know, I know there's a lot of excitement around the city when you look at the rookie quarterback and C.J. Stroud, D'Amico Ryan's first game as head coach, even Bobby Sloyd as the new offensive coordinator. Um, I think this team is going to have a pretty um, good season, especially considering what they had to go through the last three years. However, I I think this game is more so going to be like laying the groundwork groundwork on what this team want to be, not just in 2023, but beyond. What do you, what do you think, Sarge? With 
So and you're just talking about this first game against Baltimore, yeah. or the season as a whole. Yeah, I think uh, the, the first game, game against Baltimore, but maybe this a little bit on the season as well. Well, I, I look at it like this, especially when it comes to comes to this game. I want to be honest with you. I think that the Texans are actually catching the Baltimore Ravens at a very good time mm. because of with quarterback Lamar Jackson learning a new offensive scheme, and for the first time, he's going to be without the wristband, so he's going to be able to you know call some of his own plays. But he also hasn't developed that camaraderie yet with Odell Beckham Jr., who, by the way, hasn't played in almost 600 days. Uh, you have uh, Zay Flowers, the rookie, coming in. You have Rashad Bateman, who was hurt last season. And you may not have Mark Andrews. So for just as much as this is a learning curve, like what Cody said with the Houston Texans coming in, I think it's a learning curve for the Baltimore Ravens as well to get themselves acclimated. But with that being said, I look at it as – this isn't going to be a barometer on where the Houston Texans are, where they will be by the end of the season, but it is a very good test to start off with a team that is supposed to be a playoff team. By the end of the season, we'll get a chance to see what C.J. Stroud will be. I went back and looked at his uh, first game against Minnesota, um, his red shirt. I think it was his red shirt freshman year, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken, but it's um, – I got a chance to watch that game, and he was a little rusty. You could tell it was a little nerve, so I, I expect that from him on mm. Sunday. Mm, interesting. I thought the first time he does anything, it's not as good as it would eventually be. OTAs early on versus late, training camp early versus late, preseason yeah. early versus late. Yes. He always gets better, which is a good thing, but that makes this weekend difficult against the Ravens. Cody, bigger concern, Texans defense versus the Ravens offense or Texans offense versus the Ravens defense? Um, I would have to say Texans offense versus the Ravens defense. And I only say that because, look, everyone knows going into this game, the number one concern for everyone, including us here, is the offensive line. You know, at the start of training camp, we looked at this offensive line thinking to ourselves, okay, if everything goes right, this could be a top 15 O-line in the league. However, nothing went right as of right now, more so with the injury bug and you know knowing that you're down three starters the one thing that I've noticed since I've been covering the Houston Texans up close and personal is is knowing how when you evaluate the offensive line it's a lot that has to go into the camaraderie with your teammates and stuff and look I understand it I get it the, the Texans have brought in a lot of new players. However, I just don't think the chemistry and the camaraderie would be there this early for week one. So that's the biggest issue as of right now. What about you, Brian? I say that it's going to be the Texans off. Uh, I'm sorry, Texans defense versus the Baltimore Ravens offense. And the reason why I say that is for, you know, I just said about Lamar Jackson having to get um uh, build that type of camaraderie um, with his players, with the wide receivers, and get on the same page as him. But the one thing that Lamar Jackson can do is be Lamar Jackson. And when you have him being Lamar Jackson, especially once he gets into the mindset of I'm MVP Lamar Jackson, it's going to make it hard for especially for that front seven. And if they don't contain him early – and let him get comfortable with with doing the things that he likes to do, and especially with even though he does he hasn't you know is not on the same page with those wide receivers just yet. But I mean, it, pitch and catch is nothing, and so they're going if they get to playing catch all day because he has opened up the defense and made them back off a little bit because he's able to scramble out of the pocket or there's a there's going to be a lot of design runs for him. That front seven has to stay disciplined. Uh, Will Anderson Jr., I don't think he's ever played against a player like Lamar Jackson. So if he doesn't get his eyes too wide open as a rookie and stays in his lane, I think that he'll be able to force some of that back to the inside. But if not, Lamar Jackson could end up 
150 yards rushing. Oh, ooh, don't <laughs> yeah. say that. Yeah, you never know. Because a couple of big runs, I mean, it only it. takes one or two. He's done it. Okay, in the AFC South, the consensus would say Jaguars, maybe Titans, and then Texans, Colts. There's a mix there as far as opinions go. What do you guys think? Cody Davis, you go first. Um, I got Jacksonville winning the division. Um, you know, as of right now, they do have the best quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. And when you take a look at, you know, the additions that they made, especially when Calvin Ridley coming back off of um, off of um, the suspension that he served, mm-hmm. and, of course, they, you know, acquired him, I really think Jacksonville has a chance. Number two, I would say it's going to be the Houston Texans, only because when you take a look at the Indianapolis Colts, they are in a similar situation as mm-hmm. the Texans. You know, rookie quarterback, rookie head coach. However, there's there's a little bit of instability going on with that franchise. And with the Tennessee Titans, man, look, I understand it. They got D-Hop, and I know we all still respect and love D-Hop here in the city of Houston. However, I just think if they ever had a championship window open, that window is definitely cut, (laughs) closed, and just thrown away at this point. Big Sarge. So I will say this. I mean, yeah, Cody Calvin Ridley, huh? Yeah, just going to throw that right in there. (laughs) (laughs) But I I look at it as uh, Jacksonville, and, you know, I've had some time to think about this, and I I will say Jacksonville because of their coach. They Mm -hmm. have a a coach that has championship pedigree, and he instills his mindset and his will and his attitude onto those players, and, you know, they focus on being better. If you look at what they did at the end of last season and even in the playoffs, they they were one of those teams that got hot at the right time, kind of like what the Detroit Lions did last season. So when you have a head coach like Doug Peterson who has won a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. when you have Trevor Lawrence who is one of the better quarterbacks in the AFC, in the AFC, um, but then you have that running game with uh, Travis Etienne when you have Christian Kirk and, of course, like you said, you added Calvin Ridley. That that offense can explode at any time. And so I have Jacksonville by – because of those things, I have Jacksonville over the Houston Texans, and I have the Texans over the Indianapolis Colts because that franchise is in disarray. You have a rookie quarterback that's going to be good. He's going to be Cam Newton 2.0. But they don't – with the uncertainty at the running game, you know, you don't never know what, what Jonathan Taylor is going to be when he comes back after the four games. And so – they still have a lot of learning to do at their wide receiver court. They have a rookie head coach. and You have the Titans at the bottom? Yeah, just because <laughs> the reason why I have like, the Titans at the bottom, the best thing's going to happen for the Titans this year is that they're going to wear the oilless colors. Mm. That's about the best yeah. thing. Other than that, we may see, you know, Derrick Henry get, what, 1,500 yards? I mean, we're used to that. But other than that, their offense and their defense just doesn't do it for me. I don't think okay. that's a good thing, though, wearing the Oilers colors. No, no. Well, keep that, they keep might that. like it. I don't think anybody in Nashville really cares. And that's the thing that I have I have a lot against it. But yeah. especially that. For their fans, what do they care about the Oilers? Exactly. Right? Right. Be the Titans. <laughs> Be who you are. Yes. You know, Appeal to your own city. You live yes. there now. Stop focusing on us. <laughs> Us. Stop wearing the Texans hoodie. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Exactly. Very good. Or their, their sweater back in the day. Uh, Cody Davis, Texans Daily, Locked On Texans. Thank you. And Brian Bearfield, Big Sarge. USA hey. Today's The Texans Wire, among everything on the Big Sarge media conglomerate platform. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate Cody and Big Sarge for stopping by. Mark, of course, Drew Doherty, Denzel Perryman. Uh, I'm going to miss people along the way. Indy Kalu, Jonathan Joseph. Uh, Cassie Shirigo, DP Sidhu, D'Amico Ryans, Mark Vandermeer. Who did I miss? I got everybody in this show. I think I did what I was supposed to do tonight and can't wait for 
Sunday. Again, away party, uh, away party at the Drift on Sunday for the game. So make sure you get out to the Heights and check that out. Other than that, check out everything we got at HoustonTexas.com. We'll see you on Sunday, everybody. And as always, go Texans.